Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Pew Research Center projects that 32 million Latinos in the U.S. will be eligible to vote this fall, making them the largest minority voting bloc compared to 30 million black voters. So how have President Trump and the Democratic presidential candidates been working to reach Latino voters? Coming up, where we live, we talk about that with leaders from the Latino community in Connecticut. Are you a part of the Latino community in our state? What candidate appeals to you in this presidential election year? As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. First, we wanted to get a national perspective on the way President Trump and the Democratic presidential candidates have been speaking to Latino voters. So joining us now from NPR's Washington, D.C. studios is Christian Ramos, founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, D.C. He worked at the Congressional Hispanic Caucus during the Obama administration, and he recently wrote an article for The Atlantic titled, Latino Support for Trump is Real. Christian, welcome to our show. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I wanted to let our listeners know they can read your article on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. We'll also tweet out that link at where we live. Uh, I wanted to uh, dig into some numbers. So in after the 2016 election, uh, Pew uh, determined 28% of Latino voters supported Donald Trump. Today, that support has actually inched up to 30%, as you've written in your piece. Uh, not very high, but why is that number concerning to you? Well, you've got to look at the margins. Uh, This election is going to come down to probably the slimmest of margins of victory for either side. And if you're looking at the election in in those, that context, that two points is significant, right? You got to also look at those numbers within the overall view of Democratic support, right? Hillary Clinton lost uh, 20... 16 with 66% support from the Latino community, according to the exit polls. If you're looking at the generic average for a Democrat now, it's at 65%. Bernie Sanders currently stands at 67% approval rating from Latinos. We're not seeing the, the level of interest and excitement from the Latino community on the Democrat side, which would allow us to overcome any sort of growth uh, for the Republican candidate for president. Our listeners might be uh, uh, caught by surprise that this uh, support for President Trump remains consistent among Latino voters, considering all of the debate about the border, the rhetoric that uh, the president uses when he talks about immigrants, especially uh, Latinos. So break it down for us. Uh, why is there, uh, why are Hispanics, not, Hispanics and Latinos not really excited about the Democratic presidential candidates uh, for the most part? So it's interesting, right? Um, I've talked to a lot of reporters since this article's come out. And, and one thing that is really fascinating to me is this disconnect between the this notion that, yes, Democrats talk about the economy and healthcare, which are the two most important issues facing Latino voters, and the fact that you can talk about those things uh, at rallies and you can get uh, earned media for it, but that's very different than going into communities uh, where there are lots of Latinos and knocking on doors and asking for their vote and creating mailers and creating 
digital advertisements that reach them on their phone and, and, and on their computer and everywhere that they are, in English and in Spanish. And so there is this sort of disconnect between, yes, Democrats do talk about a lot of these things, but do they spend the time and the money to do this in a way that actually reaches these voters where they live? And since the article has come out, you've had Nevada. Mm-hmm. And and that was the first big test of, of, of sort of the, the Latino support. What was fascinating to me is you're looking at Bernie Sanders' support going in to the entrance polls at the beginning of the night was around 51% for Latinos. For afterwards, according to exit polls uh, released by Latino Decisions at UCLA, he got upwards of 70% of the Latino vote. And that's great on one hand. On the other hand, let's put this in context, there were five other mm-hmm. candidates running. And so for one single person to get 70% to monopolize, like, I don't want to discount anything that Bernie Sanders did. Mm-hmm. They, they ran a great campaign for Latinos. But to me, more than anything, as somebody who sort of watches elections and has, has done this for a while, it, it, it sounds to me like the other candidates didn't have uh, deep penetration in these communities and, and great relationships with these voters. And that's sad <laughs> for me uh, because we need robust competition for this community. I'm not saying that Senator Sanders couldn't have won the Latino vote in Nevada, but the margins shouldn't have been you know, <laughs> as huge as they were if these other campaigns had actually showed up and done the hard work in these communities. Let's talk more about the issues, as you mentioned. You said the <clears throat> other Democratic candidates are speaking about health care, are speaking about the economy. But uh, President Trump is really pushing hard on uh, the economy, especially while he is in office. And as we look at to what some of the issues that really matter to people in their daily lives, whether they are immigrants or not, it is about jobs. And if they feel like they're in a comfortable place uh, in their lives. And so talk through uh, what you expect to see in the next few months um, as, uh, you know, President Trump really ramps up uh, his reelection campaign. Uh, and candidates, should they be talking more about the economy and health care than they already have been? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think you, there's a key distinction here that has to be made. You know, <laughs> President Trump, I think, never stopped running for reelection. And he is constantly talking about the economy. And we know we know what he says about it. What, what I'm more interested in where Democrats are, and this again becomes this issue of, are we doing the bare minimum for the Latino community? And, and why this is so important is, look, Barack Obama and Democrats have a great record on the economy and jobs for the Latino community. Under Barack Obama and, and, and the Democratic White House, uh, we dropped unemployment by more than 7% for Latinos. This Trump administration has dropped it by, I want to say, a percentage point, a percentage point and a half tops. But I, the only reason I say that is there's a lot of context here to provide to these voters. And, and the other side of this is healthcare and the economy are, are similar issues to this community, right? Mm-hmm. You're looking at the most positive, optimistic community, and they really want to have a good paying job. They want to provide for their families. If their healthcare costs are out of control, then, then they're not able to save. They're not able to pay for, you know, a new car or a good school. And and the reason I bring this up is because at the bare minimum, the president of the United States is currently has a lawsuit uh, trying to gut the Affordable Care Act, trying to take away pre-existing conditions to to millions of people. Latinos are the most uninsured community in in the country. This to me seems pretty simple. Spanish language, English language, advertisements, 
educating the community about the fact that the president is trying to take away their health care and trying to make their health care more costly. And so this is where, as somebody who's followed this for a while, I get a little frustrated because the president is able to go at the State of the Union and say he's trying to save pre-existing conditions and people cover that in Spanish and English. And then I don't see a Democrat response uh, from 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 the campaigns. I think Veronica Escobar did a great job. Absolutely. But then, you know, you need other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm referring to her, her response to the State of the Union. Uh, it was very good. And it was actually all about health care. But then on the local level and, and from these campaigns and the candidates themselves, you know, where's the health care town hall? Uh, where where are the where's that stuff for this community? Because I would imagine that would be quite popular because Democrats have an incredible record to run on, on this issue. You're hearing Christian Ramos uh, from NPR's Washington, D.C. studios here on Where We Live. He's founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, D.C. We're talking to him about uh, what the Democratic presidential candidates, as well as President Trump, uh, need to do uh, to reach uh, Latino voters uh, this year. Again, Latino voters uh, projected 32 million of them eligible to vote uh, this fall, making them the largest minority voting bloc uh, in the country. You can join us, too, especially if you're Latino living in Connecticut. Uh, what are you hearing from uh, the candidates that speaks to you? Uh, what are they ignoring that matters most to you? The number 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Uh, let's talk about identity, which is also something that um, you speak about in this column you wrote or this piece you wrote for The Atlantic. Uh, you are, a, uh, I believe, a th- uh, third generation a Mexican-American. Uh, you talk about when we hear candidates speaking again, to Latinos, the emphasis on immigration, that doesn't really uh, speak very strongly when you're thinking about third, fourth, fifth generation Latinos living in this country. Uh, Even if the rhetoric from President Trump um, has uh, been poor uh, related to immigration, it it may not be something that they feel very strongly about versus the first or second generation. Well, to me, this is a uh, and or. This is not an and or or thing. Like You should be doing both, right? Immigration is a moral issue. It's incredibly important. Uh, we have to fight for these communities uh, that are that are American in every way, but their status. Having said that, I, I don't understand why we can't do both. This is, this is not complicated in my mind. There's billions of dollars being spent this election cycle. We absolutely can, can have both of these, convers- uh, you know, all these conversations. Mm-hmm. But to, to your question about, you know, generational, uh, this divide and this split, uh, you know, it, it is fascinating. Identity is very complicated, and I think the ways in which both parties and the media sort of view this stuff is very myopic. Whenever I do sort of a media training for an elected official of some sort, what I always tell them is to visualize the room that they're in, and likely there's going to be, you know, some Latinos, there's going to be some African Americans, there's going to be some you know Asian Americans or whatever. There's going to be a lot of different people in the room, and that's just the reality of America in 2020. And so to try to, you know silo or to to speak to like one person's identity versus the other person's identity versus these other things. I, I don't think it's how this all works in, in reality, in, in practical application of, of living one's life as a person of color. And so, yeah, uh, I'm absolutely horrified and upset that, that the president is putting people in, you know, children in cages and separating them from their family. We should talk about that. But I also... Uh, I'm a father who, you know, recently bought a house who needs to buy a second car and has to put my kid in a, 
in in a school. And I would love it if somebody would talk to me about that, <laughs> about how they're going to make that happen, because I would be really interested in hearing that pitch. And I think this just goes back to the overall, my overall critique of where Democrats are right now. It's myopic. I want something optimistic and positive because at the end of the day, I need something to vote for. I need to vote for my kid's future. I need to vote for my future and my ability to earn a living. That's different than saying, I'm going to get rid of President Trump because he did X, Y, and Z. You know, that's that's fine. But I also need to hear, I'm going to help you pay for your mortgage. I'm going to help you, you know, all of this basic stuff. And, and I just think, you know, generationally, that would be, I think, probably appreciated by everybody. The, the person who's a first generation immigrant would love to hear how they're going to get helped on, on these kitchen table issues. And I think the fifth generation person would as well. And I think that's a positive value-add message that's missing right now. Uh, Christiane, uh, we, you mentioned earlier that uh, President Obama you know, spent time uh, speaking directly to uh, Latinos, especially in his 2012 re-election campaign, uh, spending a lot of time doing research, uh, speaking uh, on particular uh, media channels that appealed to uh, Latino voters around the country. But he also had the nickname Deporter-in-Chief uh, because of under his administration, deporting more than 3 million and undocumented immigrants, uh, frustrations that there was no comprehensive immigration reform bill passed uh, in his administration. Does this still sit poorly with Latinos and may speak to why some of them still aren't strongly thinking about, again, the Democratic Party uh, this this cycle? Um, both things can be true. I think what, what you're getting at, yeah, of course, people are, are frustrated and, and angry at that. But to me, look, I'm a communications guy. And when you have a void... That void is filled by something. And so, yeah, I mean, everything you said is accurate and correct, but there was also a lot of good stuff that this president did. There was a lot of good stuff that Democrats did. Uh, You know, I I wouldn't put him not getting immigration reform solely on his shoulders. There was a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I didn't see a lot of Republicans really that interested in in getting that done. But I mean, I don't even want to get bogged down in that whole back and forth, really. What I'm looking at is, we saved the economy. <laughs> we gave millions of people health care. We invested in, in people's education. And yeah, we didn't get everything done. But immigration reform is, you know, this has been a, a 20, 30 year fight conversation. And, you know, just to just to drill down on this a little bit, I, you know, it it's it's not great. Currently, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think anybody sees this as, as a good thing. And so, you know, we we need that. We need to have that conversation about what we've done and what we can do better. And I think we absolutely can do the immigration piece better. I don't think anybody would deny that. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today is Christian Ramos, founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, D.C. He recently wrote an article for The Atlantic titled, Latino Support for Trump is Real. After the break, we want to hear from you. Are you a member of the Latino community in Connecticut? What do you want to hear from the Democratic presidential candidates or President Trump himself as he runs for re-election? You can join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. 
Early on, the Democratic presidential candidates turned their attention to Latinos in the U.S. speaking Spanish during the presidential debates. But do a few sentences spoken in Spanish really translate to voter turnout in November? Coming up, we're going to talk more about the strategies candidates like U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders have rolled out to attract Latino voters. Um, My guest today from NPR's Washington, D.C. studios is Christian Ramos, founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, D.C. And joining me now in studio is Fernando Betancourt, executive director of the San Juan Center, which is a social services organization serving the Latino community in Hartford. Fernando, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Before I I, uh, ask you a little bit about your response to Christian's Mm -hmm. uh, piece in The Atlantic, I remember meeting you years ago when Mm -hmm. you were the executive director of the former Connecticut Latino and Puerto Rican Affairs Commission. So you have been working um, uh, in this community for many years Mm -hmm. in the state. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are when you think about about how to attract, uh, um, how candidates should be speaking to Connecticut voters who are Latino. What issues matter to them based on our conversation with Christian? Well, it's interesting because the pattern, and for political scientists, trends are very important. Uh, if you look at the last 30 years, the important issues for Latinos have always been education, housing, employment, and access to health care. And of course, disproportionate with other groups in the nationwide uh, immigration. However, However, this pattern changed completely. During the midterm elections, what we found is that the Latino bloc voting, going out to vote, is an anti-Trump electorate. And that should be not surprised because Donald Trump have continued with these rhetorical aspects of treating us um, very badly and taking on uh, Puerto Ricans in particular lately. So there's a lot of antipathy with uh, that message from Donald Trump. The other uh, thing I will advise both parties is you have to have a common uh, uh, message that will connect with our communities and do not wait until it's election time to address us. If you look uh, both in the state and nationwide, uh, Latinos are disproportionately absent from representation, both in Congress and uh, state offices. Uh, how do you respond to a point that Christian made uh, that, and again in his piece for The Atlantic, also in our conversation, that uh, support, so Latino support for President Trump has actually stayed <laughs> consistent, inched up a little bit uh, since 2016. Is that worrisome to you? I understand uh, Christian's point of view. I think it's well documented. However, I disagree slightly. Uh, you cannot call anywhere between 67 to 70 percent opposition uh, something that uh, is near uh, Galvan in the support in the Latino community. If anything, what Donald Trump have been able to do is keep that support that oscillates between 27 to 30 percent, but that's not growing. And that's important because when you mentioned that 32 million Latinos will be eligible, what is different there is the voter participation rate, which is lower in the Latino community but have continued to grow, which means that when you look at the universe of everybody who's going to be voting, Latinos will represent a larger percentage than they did in 2016 because the white population keeps dwindling down. So Donald Trump, if he is the candidate uh, on, the, on the Republican side, will have the same problems that other candidates have done and and have uh, confronted in places like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and other places. Look at Texas, for example. The trend is trending 
to be uh, a purplish uh, state. I will not be surprised by 2024, just by demographic growth, that turns to be a swing state. I wanted to take some listener calls. Marcus is calling in from Enfield. Marcus, you're on the show. Hello? Yes, Marcus, go ahead. Yeah, so I am a Latino voter in, uh, in Connecticut. I'm a third generation. My grandparents on my mother's side were from Puerto Rico. Um, and one of the things that's important to me this election um, is the cost of higher education. Um, and, you know, basically what I'm looking at is, is a candidate that would uh, look at maybe even reform for how much uh, education is costing versus the benefit um, going forward. All right, Marcus. Well, thank you for letting us know about um, one of the issues that you want to hear highlighted uh, this uh, election cycle. Um, Of the uh, people that you know in your community, Marcus, uh, do you feel like they are motivated to go vote in November? Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not that high. Um, But, uh, you know, I think we need some more engagement, uh, at least in Connecticut, from the candidates. Uh, real, real quick, I know you're in Enfield. Uh, I read earlier today that U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders is going to be having a rally in Springfield uh, tonight. Is this something that uh, would be interested to you to hear what uh, Bernie Sanders had to say? Has to say? Um, absolutely, yeah. I didn't even know that, so I might look into to seeing if I can attend that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Marcus, uh, for your call. Before I go back to Christian Ramos uh, for his perspective, uh, Anthony's calling from New Haven. Anthony, you're on the show. Hey. So tell us about your question or comment, Anthony. Um, yeah. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, um, I'm an organizer here in New Haven. I work primarily with undocumented folks. And um, what I really think in order to, to move forward um, is that we need a, a radical change to the immigration system, one that humanizes folks and, and stops criminalizing us. Um, I think in many ways, um, like, I, I heard Christian comment on how, you know, we need help paying our mortgage and, and having um, better access to education. And, and I completely agree with that. But I, I feel like without changing the immigration system, many people are going to be left behind. Um, and I currently see that through day-to-day work that I do um, and interacting with people, trying to get them just to have access to housing and work and stability in that sense. Right. Um, and Anthony, I wanted to get uh, Christian Ramos to, to respond uh, to the point that you raised. Christian. Sure. Um, well, first, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing out in the community. It's so needed right now. And uh, thank you. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I don't disagree with anything he's saying. Um, I, my question to him would be, I mean, do you do you think comprehensive immigration reform is, is the solution? Um yeah. Yeah. He says that he would like to see complete immigration uh, reform uh, um, uh, pass. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you, Christian, before we mm-hmm. have to head to break, uh, we heard uh, um, um, Fernando talking about the importance of turnout in November. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are in terms of, again, 32 million eligible Latino voters uh, this uh, November. But what is it going to take to get them to come out to the polls? <laughs> I, it's going to take some effort. I, I think there, this is sort of this thing that's missing right now is that people just expect uh, people, uh, Latinos being in, outraged by the president to just, you know, show up and vote uh, any way that they can. 
that's not the reality of how uh, campaigns work. Any constituency, you have to invest. You have to show up. You have to ask for their vote. You have to turn them out. And so, look, I agree uh, with what my colleague just said about the fact that, yeah, it's not huge support. But those 30 percent, they're voting for sure. 100 percent, they're going to turn up and vote. That's not soft support. That's hard support. The Democrat side is soft support right now. I, I will disagree, Christian, because uh, there's no scientific measure of how one Latino voter from the Republican side or Democratic side will go. And What I see is the commonality that uh, the message from uh, a candidate like Bernie Sanders uh, connects with the Latino community because... Like Marcus, the caller, was saying, uh, they're looking at the problems with higher education, accessibility to health care. Those are a- issues that the new millennial uh, are talking to their parents. That's why the aspirational message for someone like Bernie Sanders connect with the Latino community. The message from Donald Trump is more antagonistic and Probably is a very core support, uh, but I don't see the enthusiasm higher than any other segment. Well, we're going to continue this conversation with both <laughs> Fernando Betancourt, executive director of the San Juan Center in Hartford, also Christian Ramos, founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, D.C., um, after our break. And we're going to bring in Hartford Councilwoman Wildelise Bermudez to join us to talk about why she's supporting Bernie Sanders. Are you a Latina voter throwing your support behind Sanders? Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Before we get to all of that, it's the last day of our very short Connecticut Public Radio fundraising campaign. We talk about a lot of different things here on Where We Live. If you appreciate these conversations, support it. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Super Tuesday is next week. It'll be interesting to see whether U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders holds on to his frontrunner status among the Democratic presidential candidates. Now, Sanders has some support among Latino voters. They call him Tio Bernie or Uncle Bernie. Uh, joining our discussion now is a city of Hartford councilwoman who has endorsed Bernie Sanders, uh, Wilda Lees Bermudez. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So tell us about why you've endorsed uh, Bernie Sanders over the other candidates. I've endorsed Bernie Sanders because he's been honest. He does not take money from millionaires. He's been consistent for decades. He's been saying the same message, and he's inclusive. The Bernie movement is a movement of that's intergenerational. It's multiracial. And it is something that is very palpable in the air when you have groups of volunteers coming together at the grassroots level organizers that are giving of their time, folks from the community coming together um, from those who live in the suburbs to those who live in the cities. Um, I was at a rally, I got together uh, this past weekend, and I saw, I, I met students from Central Connecticut State University, Latino students who were for Bernie and saying, how, how else can we get involved? Um, and then in the same stance, I also met uh an elderly couple from Glastonbury. And so it is very much a movement that brings so many people together and it brings our com- our communities together mm-hmm. in Connecticut and so many other places. Now, your party's endorsement, the Working Families Party, they've endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, because you've endorsed Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, what is it, again, about uh, him uh, that makes you want to uh, depart from, from, the, from the party and their support of, of Elizabeth Warren? So Bernie's the only candidate that has said he wants for the abolishment of ICE. Mm. He's been consistent with this message. 
he wants to make sure, and this is a, a, another thing he's been saying from the beginning um, for such a long time, Medicare for all, better good paying jobs, canceling student debt. He has been consistent time and time again with the messaging and with making sure um, that people's interest um, and, and what they want and what they need is really uh, pushed up to the higher level of, of bringing folks together. Because at the end of the day, what this is about, it's, it's an economic war against working class people. And so this is a movement that brings many, many different folks from those who live in the suburbs to those live in the cities together um, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a war against us, against those who work. Um, we have, you know, if, if, whether you look at a Republican like Trump or, or a Democrat like Bloomberg, um, millionaires, billionaires who are running um, to become president and they have, they control a lot of the wealth of this country. And we have to do away with that. We have to make sure that our voices, the voices of the working class people, the voices of the majority of this country are finally and for once elevated. And that's why I'm supporting Bernie, because of his honesty, consistency, and inclusiveness. Uh, Fernando Betancourt is also with me, executive director of the San Juan Center, which is the social services organization uh, in uh, Hartford, uh, serving the Latino uh, community. Uh, we know that Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. Some see that as, as radical. But that term and what he stands for, uh, appealing to, to especially young voters, millennials, Fernando. Uh, not only that, I think that the discussion in the United States is back uh, 50 years at least. This labels uh, like democratic socialists or social democrat, those are used all over the world, particularly in Europe, Latin America. So, and, and they are not communists, for example. And so when you look at every single position that Bernie Sanders have taken, for instance, there's not much difference from any other Pete Buttigieg, Amy Koblocker, Joe Biden, almost all of them to a degree or another, I agree with every single position that Bernie, so much so that Bernie in 2016 was able to transform the content of the platform that was led, or the party platform that was led by Hillary Clinton. So these are labels that we should not be paying attention that much. You can join our conversation as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Jeffrey's calling in from West Hartford. Jeffrey, go ahead. Hi, this is Jeffrey, uh, um, West Hartford, as you said. So I want to challenge the apparent orthodoxy of uh, the callers and, and the guests. I've only listened for about the last 25 minutes or so, so if somebody said something beyond what I'm going to say, so be it, and I'd like to hear it. But um, your last caller, for instance, the councilwoman talked about the consistency and honesty of Bernie Sanders, and I completely agree with that. I think there's something very uh, appealing about that. I think the problem comes in, though, is that when you pair that with um, an interest in abolishing ICE or immigration um, rules, you know, laws, etc., there's something that is 100% um, antithetical in that position in the sense that those moves, in fact, drive wages down for, for working people. Those moves hurt working people. Those moves hurt unions. Those moves hurt the whole idea of trying to elevate a working or middle class in this country. And so the idea that 32 million Latino Americans, Americans are going to vote for Bernie because of some resonance that he has for those honesty reasons, which I agree are legitimate, I think is 
inherently incorrect. I think that if Latino voters, in fact, um, become more involved and become more uh, attuned to the issues that are at stake here, I think they'll find a, a very harsh irony in the fact that many of these same voters have run from countries that were run uh, with socialistic uh, governments, etc. I know I have friends that have fled Venezuela to Colombia and to the United States and other countries where socialism has failed, as it has all over the world. All right, so Jeffrey, let me have, let's have Councilwoman Bermudez uh, speak to the points that you raised, but thank you. So saying that if we have the abolishment of ICE would equate to not having jobs is, I believe, an incorrect statement. Bernie has been consistent when he's mentioned having better and good paying jobs. And one prime example of that has been through the Green New Deal. Let's get with the program. We understand that we are up against a crazy amount of uh, unprecedented territory when it comes to the environment. And a lot of folks who are fleeing their native lands are due to environmental crises. One prime example has been in Puerto Rico where my family is from. And they are coming here to the U.S. because of the natural disasters and conditions that have happened. And they don't, that these natural disasters don't happen on their own. And they, it, it is very much because of the fact that there are environmental problems um, that are occurring globally and people are now fleeing their countries and coming to the U.S. And we have to think of a sustainable approach, sustainable jobs and Green jobs are our new, are, will and should be our new economy. Well, I wanted to bring back uh, Christiane Ramos into the conversation, founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington, uh, D.C., joining us from NPR. Uh, Christiane, uh, to Jeffrey's point uh, about um, how some uh, Latinos uh, may not like the fact, again, that uh, that Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist, thinking about regimes from other uh, Latino countries. Uh, what is your take on that? Probably true. I mean, I don't disagree with with his assessment, but that doesn't mean that the support for Bernie is with the Latino community is strong. But I'd love to unpack why that is here, and, and this is a fascinating thing because I would look at, at at Nevada. Nevada was very interesting in that you had going into it fifty one percent support for Bernie uh, on in the entrance polls. On the exit polls, he had like seventy one, seventy four percent, according to Latino Decisions UCLA. And, and what's fascinating about that is there's five other candidates in this race. There's no way that he should have that much support if those other candidates have been doing the work that they needed to do within that Latino community. And I think it's so interesting today, On even on this, this segment, we have two Bernie supporters. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see that level of support uh, within the Latino community in, in a lot of these other states. And, and a lot of it, you know, what I hear from people is, this Bernie Sanders campaign actually shows up and asks for their support and they haven't heard or they can't hear from these other campaigns. And so for me, you know, yeah, are Bernie Sanders uh, positions popular? Look, Medicare for all has a 80, 83% support nationally from Latinos, which I was stunned to see actually. Uh, but my, my broader point is you always vote for the person who actually shows up and asks for your vote. Uh, I'm not a Bernie Sanders supporter, I'm agnostic in this whole primary, but uh, as as a journalist or somebody who's watching this, it, his people show up and are asking in these communities for for Latino support for their vote, and the organizers that they have are Latino and culturally competent. 
all the campaigns should be doing this. I don't see that from all the other campaigns. Um, before I go back to Fernando uh, to respond as well, uh, we got a tweet from Miguel who writes, I am a Latino voter, but I still haven't decided who to vote for. I would have liked to give Bernie a chance with his education and health care for all agenda, but I'm disappointed with his views on foreign affairs, specifically where he stands on the issue of Venezuela and Cuba. Fernando Betancourt. Yeah, I, I, I want to, to mention that when Jeffrey the caller was talking about the orthodoxy of what we were talking about. At the beginning of the program, I said that we're not a monolithic uh, uh, group. As a matter of fact, we twice voted in favor of Obama and, and Hillary Clinton. You were not accusing them to be democratic socialists. The issue is that what we call radical in historical time, people call radical idea the Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, environmental protection law, etc. Et so what we're talking about is a new wave. The connection with the new uh, generation that talks about uh, climate change, the new generation that connects with the debt they have because they're they're uh, recently uh, graduated from college, all those are real issues. Latinos are staying at home for a longer period because they don't have enough support or access to health care. So there's a number of issues that Bernie Sanders is touching upon, and his message is resonating. It's not that he will be necessarily the candidate that ultimately uh, prevails. Uh, something that, uh, Christian Ramos, uh, you may not know is that there are as a large number of Puerto Ricans that live in Connecticut. About 13,000 um, have moved here in addition after Hurricane Maria. I wanted to go back to Councilwoman uh, Wildelise Bermudez. As we talk about getting out the vote, uh, these uh, uh, these new voters uh, in our state, uh, what are you hearing from community members about uh, the issues that matter to them and that will get them to the polls in November? At the core issue here is, um, is the issue of debt. And so the reality is that our communities, people are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, when we're looking at communities of color, when we're looking at the Latino community as part of the community of color. Um, and it is and and this these are not issues that are happening in isolation. I mean, a good example right here in Hartford, you know, it's, it's a little microcosm where over 30 percent of our population is not employed or underemployed. And so um, people are trying to just survive. And when even when when we were campaigning not too long ago, um, our election was this past November. Um, we, we went into those neighborhoods like Frog Hollow and, and other neighborhoods throughout the city with the lowest zip codes in the state of Connecticut. And folks folks said, well, why are you knocking on my door? And we're like, well, we, we want to, can we count on your vote? Um, you know, this is a municipal election. Can can we count on your support for city council for and for other offices? And so um, the issue here is how does you knocking on their door the the end goal here is for for the takeaway for the constituents for for the voters to say how will my vote impact me how does that connect with my life with what's happening with me right now with with what's going on with my reality and the reality for many whether you want to put it in the pool of communities of color or beyond and beyond is that people are living paycheck to paycheck and connecting with this population is crucial and not just during presidential elections. It has to be an ongoing and consistent approach throughout the entire country. And if we look at places like Hartford that typically have an um, under 
enrollment of folks who go out and turn out to vote and, and folks who show up to the polls because in Hartford, you know, you could win an election for mayor with only 6,000 votes. Um, we have more work to do. We have a lot of work to do because there is a lot at stake here. Um, our entire country, our entire nation is at stake in this presidential election. We're going to have to leave it there, but I want to thank Councilwoman Wildelise Bermudez again for coming on to the show here on Where We Live, Fernando Betancourt, Executive Director of the San Juan Center, again in Hartford, and Christiane Ramos joining us from Washington, D.C., founder and principal of Autonomy Strategies in Washington. Uh, a lot to talk about before the November elections. We hope to keep these conversations happening on our air. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, today's show produced by Robin Doyen Aiken. Thanks to Maxine Philifong. Uh, Philifong, I want to make sure I say your name right. Uh, Maxine. Uh, it's also the last day of WMPR's fundraising campaign. Uh, if you appreciate these conversations and the people we speak to each and every day, now's the time to support it. 